Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm your host this week, Father David Mowry, chaplain of the Movies by Minutes community. And I am deeply honored to be joined today by one of the leading figures of the Movies by Minutes community, the co-host of Star Wars Minute and of the Godfather Minute, Alex Robinson. Alex, welcome to the show. Hello there. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so good to have you. Uh, how you been holding up? Good. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm used to being on the other end of this uh, this relationship. I'm usually the one asking the <laughs> questions, and you're the guest, so I'm a little uh, rattled. But uh, otherwise, good. Good. You're you're in a safe place. You just need to rest. You just need to sleep. You just need to relax. Uh, as we. Uh, Talk about minute 53 of the best years of our lives. Uh, minute 53 begins with Fred counting parachutes, and it ends with Peggy convincing Fred to count sheep instead. <laughs> the deeply distressed dream that Fred is obviously having. So we've had the buildup the last couple days. Uh, it's woken Peggy up, and uh, now... Fred is just in the grips of this traumatic dream. He's he is so concerned. He's obviously reliving this scene of seeing another B-17 bomber getting shot down. And he's he's worried about his friend Godowski. He's counting the parachutes as uh, he watches for that crew to make it safely. It's a tense thing because a, a B-17 usually had a crew of 10. And so mm -hmm. as he's he's kind of two, three, four, he's he's waiting to see if everyone's able to to make it out of there. And uh that kind of tense situation, uh no wonder it would cause a stress dream. I mean, I just I just have stress dreams about homework assignments that I had back in high school. I've never seen my friend's plane get shot down. <laughs> that would be an interesting word problem on a in a math test, is you know, if <laughs> If four if John counts four parachutes coming out of one plane and seven parachutes in another plane. How many hours of therapy will he need for his PTSD? <laughs> have you ever um, uh, jumped out of a plane? I have never jumped out of a plane. They, you know, on on good days, I think, you know, I think I'd be able to skydive. That might be pretty fun. And then, you know, in my normal, honest moment, say, oh, no, no way. Not even if I was being chased and that was what I had to do to save my own life. You ever done any skydiving? I did go skydiving, believe it or not. So what what was that experience like? Uh, well, it was, um, uh, for one thing, it, it wasn't like, I, it was in uh, Las Vegas. You know, they have those things you can sign up to take, take they take, bring you out to the desert and some, you know, mm -hmm. so you don't land on anything. And um, like when we did it, there's like an experienced parachuter doing all the work and you're just kind of like their, the, their luggage basically you know what I mean like they're strapped to you and you're just kind of like hanging there you don't have to do anything or, or anything so um, so it's weird because not only are you jumping out of the plane and dependent on the parachute saving you you're also there's another person like between you and the parachute so and you gotta hope that parachute is real strong because it's gotta hold the weight of two people well I'm assuming they've done this a bunch of times so they probably have tested this out and and so on so uh well, we're very excited to have you today you're our very first customer for our skydiving business we've never done this before but we're gonna have a great jump we can do it so cheap because we made our own harnesses <laughs> oh no is, is it too late to get off no it's time to get off right now ah. <laughs> so we get in this little plane and then you know you're all sitting kind of in a line and mm -hmm. um 
I wanted to go. I wanted to be one of the first people out because I'm like, if I see other people jumping out, I'm just gonna get more <laughs> nervous. I just want to be the first person out and then get it over with, you know. So I was like, among the early batch, my wife got to watch me uh, jump out, and um, it was pretty cool. I mean, it was you know, it's a it's a very weird sensation, and uh, uh, you know, uh, I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, if, if I was doing it, yeah, I couldn't do it if I was responsible for jumping out the plane. I would need to have the the expert saying, "Ready? No, I'm not ready. Okay, we're yeah. going now," and then just jump out the plane for me. That's that's yeah. the major decision moment that I get stressed out about. Standing at the edge where the plane is not exactly the safest place in my imagination, but it's safer than in the middle of the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another weird thing aspect. So you're really you're free falling for maybe like 30 45 seconds. Like it's not a long time. I guess depending on how you look at it, there can be a long time to be free falling, but you're most of the time you're just going down on the parachute. And uh I actually found myself getting kind of bored by the end of uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're you're yeah. skydiving for 45 seconds and then you're on a parachute for like 5 minutes. And, you know, five minutes of just like hanging there and being, boy, we are here, sure, we're up here in the sky. And then, like, <laughs> you know, like all right, this, this is it, huh? This is kind of like, I wish the falling part went more because that's, that's more of an exciting, you know, uh, adrenaline-fueled experience. I would imagine in Las Vegas they would have some kind of indoor skydiving tower. I've seen one of those in the Chicago area here, like iFly, I think it is, where you just get to hang underneath the biggest fans in the world. Uh, you hang above them and just experience that free-falling for, I don't know, as long as you pay for the session. Yeah, I wonder how long they actually uh, do it. I've, um, I, I've they have, We have those in Oregon, too, and... Um... Uh, I don't know. After doing the real thing, it seems like it would be anticlimactic to go to do, you know, oh, look, you're 10 feet above the ground, you know. <laughs> but I would do it again. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that, that speaks very highly to it. I'm, I'm, I would be curious to experience it. That would be a once in a lifetime experience. Are you? Do you do like roller coasters? I know we're not talking about the movie. Or anything, but like roller coasters? Are you? Are you? You know, like my uh, co-host, Pete the Retailer, does not like roller coasters at all. So, are you like that, where you just don't like thrill rides? You know, the last time I did roller coasters was when my brother and I had a whole day to ourselves at uh, Kings Island in Ohio, mm-hmm. and we did all the coasters except for one, and it was a really great day. And I never wanted to do it again huh. uh, because there were some really great chills and spills on all the coasters, but it was the steel coasters that I actually had the biggest problem with. I don't trust rides that are that smooth. I feel like I'm being <laughs> lied to. I'm being lulled into a false sense of security. I actually prefer the wooden roller coasters with rickety and you're, you've got your skull bouncing around in your own head. I feel like, okay, nothing could be this rickety and not be safe at the same time. Wow, it's, it's, it's a weird, like illogical thing. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so I, I had, but I haven't been back. Gosh, so that, so that was, I think that, and a couple times when I was visiting Disney World with some friends, we went on the rock and roller coaster there, uh, and that's you know, one of the worst kinds of roller coasters because you're just sitting there and then they shoot you out from yeah. the starting gate, and you're just clenching everything <laughs> right before <laughs> the ride starts. Uh, the the chain lift, at least you have that 
that lift in order to prepare yourself. Like, okay, we're getting closer. I know yeah. exactly when it's going to happen. That's kind of the best part in a way. Yeah, it's the anticipation. Yeah. Uh, just like the uh, the free fall is the best part of the the skydive because yeah. you're waiting for the chute to open and then just gently coasting back down to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, Fred gets a gentle re-entry back into safety here as well. He he starts up uh, after yelling for Godowski to, to jump to get out of there. And Peggy is, is shaking him. She's she's trying to wake him up. And Fred, it, it's disconcerting to me because Fred's eyes are wide open. It's mm-hmm. mind-boggling that he does not wake up from this at all. Uh, it reminds me of when I was uh, a babysitter and when my siblings were growing up, every so often the kids would just have night terrors where they were unable to fall asleep because they're having a bad nightmare, but you couldn't really wake them up either. Their eyes were open and they were very disconcerted and they were in this waking dream state. Yeesh, terrifying. It's, it's obviously very distressing for Fred here. That Have you ever had to handled you know someone who's having a nightmare you kind of oh you got to wake up you know your wife or your brother or anyone like that um no um other than just you know brief speaking in your um in one sleep Mm -hmm. i think if anything i'm probably i've probably more done stuff where like uh i've woken up and um uh you know well i don't want to embarrass everyone but let's just say for the sake of the discussion let's just say i'm sleeping in my underwear Sure. I would wake up and I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm in my underwear. Everyone's going to see me. And I would go about the room and try to find, like, pajama pants to put on. And then eventually I'd be like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, so I don't know if that counts as a night terror. It's almost like a weird, um, you know, like that you have to take a quiz in high school and you didn't study and you're not wearing pants. It's like some variation of that, I guess. No, you wake up stressed. Oh, no, Mrs. Yeah. McGillicuddy wants that homework. I was due yesterday. Wait, <laughs> no, I'm 30 years old. I haven't been in school in years. What, what am I stressed about? Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's funny how our brain plays tricks on us where the subconscious tries to process all the various bits of information. It's just smashing things together in our sleep in order to clear out all the the stuff we've got rattling around in there. And we can respond to it as if it's real. To uh, I remember uh, I was on a trip with uh, my folks and – in the middle of the night, as clear as a bell, my mom heard me you know, yell almost at the top of my lungs, okay, time to get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was very clear, very coherent. And, and my mom said, and you were very perky. It was very encouraging, but you're also obviously a little annoyed. And whatever, so whatever was happening in my in my dream, it was at the same level that Fred is going through, where it's very vivid and yeah. he's very coherently talking in his sleep. Uh, I was once uh, in a room um, where I was in a hotel room once with someone, and uh, um, it was the middle of the night, and uh, he heard like a noise out in the hall and shot up out of his bed and was like, "Hey, hey, hey!" like yelling like and running towards the door like he oh thought there was someone in the in the hotel room or whatever and i was like oh my gosh like i'm glad he didn't realize you know remember i was there and, and uh, try to kill me or something <laughs> yeah didn't grab a chair and start beating you about the head and shoulders yeah. yikes yeah, but poor fred fred is obviously uh, dealing with 
a lot and he's still trying to settle back into reality. Uh, one of the things that I love about this film is the realism it uses to depict these veterans. You know, a film coming out in 1946, you'd expect, oh, it's going to be a little jingoistic. It's going to be, all right, yeah. well, we got over there. We really kicked Hitler's butt. And oh, our boys in blue are coming back home. But when the boys in blue come back home in this movie, they carry a lot of stuff with them. Fred is carrying a lot of trauma from seeing his friend go down. I'm sorry to say it doesn't sound like Godowski made it out of that crashing plane. And he's still carrying that that trauma still carrying that scar and he needs time to to process it all that the war hasn't left him yet even though he's left the war it's really impressive i mean that that this movie even got made i think because it doesn't seem like what you think of as a post-war like i yeah you would imagine that when that all the movies were very pro like military and pro the war you know what i mean it was the good war and and so the fact that they made this movie about people you know basically seeming to have various forms of ps ptsd it's it's impressive i mean i don't even think we really talk much about that today um you know the the price that the military people pay for their for their service but so the fact that this was a huge movie in 1946 is is kind of impressive mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the closest thing I can think of is The Hurt Locker mm-hmm. with the, the story of the bond removal uh, technicians in the wars in the Middle East. And there's a scene showing the, the main character played by uh, Jeremy Renner. He's home from his tour of duty and he can't relax. Mm-hmm. He is so used to the high stress situation over in the war zone that he's I think the, the if I'm remembering the scene correctly, he's sitting in his daughter's bedroom and he he just he can't relax he can't stop paying attention to every little sound because he's so accustomed to waiting for someone to come around a corner and try and blow him away and it's so hard for him to readjust to peacetime he goes back the the latter part of the hurt locker is his character going back into those highly tense situations because it's the only place he feels comfortable he can't handle peacetime he's so accustomed to war and you know, Fred, obviously, he has a lot he wants to do again. He's he's uh, looking forward to seeing his wife, who he barely knows. <laughs> they only got married right before he started his service. So he's looking forward to starting his life together with his wife, who he hasn't connected with yet, but hopefully soon. And uh, he is trying to find his place again. So he's not looking to go back into the war, but... He is obviously, uh, even in this 1946 film, they're acknowledging that war has a terrible effect on people. And it's not easy for the veterans to readjust to life. Now, in in talking about World War II veterans, uh, something I'm asking all of my guests, Alex, is there anyone in your family, maybe a grandparent or a, a member of your extended family who's been in military service? Um, my dad was in military service back, um, uh, he was born in the, in the late thirties. So he was, I think Mm -hmm. around in the, like the early fifties, he, I don't know if at that time everyone had to do it. It was part of the, you know, uh, they still had the, um, uh, anyway, he, but he never really, he just did kind of a basic training thing and never saw combat or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But he, even, even just the basic training he was saying was, 
was a kind of jolting experience because you know they're they're trying to break you down and make you part of this fighting unit so you know i guess we've all seen the stereotypical drill sergeant in movies and stuff and it sounds like that's a pretty accurate uh depiction from from what i understand the the goal of the basic training is to break you down in order to uh make you more uh coherent with the the unit of the army that they need people who are going to be able to follow orders and they need to be able to break down that typical uh questioning individualistic kind of mentality that you have and the the whole basic training program is designed to build trust in your fellow soldier and trust in your superior officers because you need to be able to react in a split second sure, right. if someone's giving you an order on the battlefield and there's no time for thinking. Yeah, you basically are being reformed into one coherent like super entity. Like all of the all of these guys <laughs> that used to be individual people are now like cells in this one giant you know military creature. So the same way, the same way you don't have to explain to your liver why you want something done. The soldier (laughs) should be the exact same way. Like whatever the, whatever the head says, that's what you do. I assume it's it's the freshman year of college, the, the basic training for the liver. You're going to drink all of these beers, (laughs) soldier, and you're going to fall in line. Drop and drink 20. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, yes, sir. That's better. (laughs) And so, and maybe that that willingness to take orders is the reason why uh, Peggy is able to get Fred to go back to sleep here. Uh, he, after he bolts up, she's able just to cover his eyes and right. to yeah. speak gently and quietly to him, and even at just the simple command, "Go back to sleep, Fred." He just drops right down, and there's a sense here that Fred, he's kind of half awake. He's not totally aware of what's going on. He wants to find that peace. And, you know, maybe this, this nice woman's voice is just kind of part of the dream. And he's, he's not thinking about where he is and what's going on. And the concern and the compassion that Peggy shows here is consistent with the, the behavior of the women in this movie, which is in a word, superhuman. Uh-huh. It is incredible how patient and understanding the majority of the women in this movie are. I mean, just the the two major female characters we've met so far, Peggy and her mother, Millie, who are a part of the army sergeant's family. And now after he wakes up with this traumatic nightmare, uh, Peggy is not put off by it. She deals with them very gently. Do you think that's a uh, fair portrayal for the for the women characters, or is it kind of like, well, it's okay for these men because they've had these horrible experiences, but like these ladies, their priority should be, like, the idea of living with someone who's going through this must also be its own challenge. But do you think the film does a accurate version of that, or are the women just like unrelentingly supportive and? The the women are unrelentingly supportive. Uh, there is. Uh, some there's some tension later on in the Stevenson family. Uh, there the movie doesn't shy away from showing a family disagreeing about what to do. There's a scene coming up with the sailors' family. Homer, his parents are just they're having a hard time looking at their son as an amputee and mm-hmm. dealing with his prosthetics. And his mother, in particular, is just she's just very choked up and emotional about it. And so it's there we see more 
uh, raw emotional response to things, more mm. of an inability to to deal. The strain. Yeah, more strained uh, here, yeah. uh, and, and we'll we'll talk about this uh, in the the scenes next week. But here, the the Stevenson family takes it all in stride, <laughs> and uh, shows some very very motherly care here, and so it it makes me wonder how old Peggy is. Uh, hmm. Her dad has no problem bringing her along on his bar crawl, so. You know, in 1940s, I, I'm not up on drinking regula- regulations, but that had to be 18 plus, if not older. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a reasonable assumption. She has uh, Peggy has a brother who is going to be uh, late for school next week, so uh-huh. uh, she doesn't look too much older than him. So you know, maybe I was maybe 20, maybe early 20s. Uh, mm-hmm. We find out later she is working at the hospital during the wartime and so she's not in school herself so so do you know how old the actress is is that any it's it's, i don't know if that's any indication in these older movies because i feel like they they played a lot faster and looser with you know Mm -hmm. you could have a 40 year old actor playing a high school person (laughs) so uh well Teresa wright was not quite 30 she was 28 when she made this movie, Teresa Wright was born in 1918. Yeah, but it's it's amazing if if all she did was take care of Fred when he's having this bad nightmare, that would have been a great act of kindness already. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier in the week, uh, we saw her waking up and realizing what was happening. And if I was you know sleeping outside and I heard my guest having a terrible nightmare, like I would just kind of stand awkwardly outside the door. Should I go in? Should I not? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I would just keep, I would just like try to make a noise to wake the person up, but act like I was make, trying to wake them up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, drop a glass or something. <laughs> Flush the toilet a whole bunch, rush, run the yeah. shower. Yeah. Sorry, I was just moving my pots and pans from one end of the apartment to the other, and it just drops. Oh, over. did I wake you? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the scene here uh, comes to an end with uh, Peggy just looking tenderly at Fred, uh, and as I've been uh, commenting uh, elsewhere during the week, and coming about the the music. So we we begin in the tense nightmare strings section here at the beginning, where full of uh, repeating musical lines to give that sense that you, you can't escape, and the musical line is repeating itself over and over again. But at the moment, Peggy's hand covers Fred's eyes. Uh, it smooths out and returns back to, to gentle strings and flute to indicate, now everything's fine, everything's calm, we're going to have a nice, peaceful sleep. Uh, the music is serviceable here in uh, <laughs> in the best years of our lives. It's clearly communicating the emotion of the scene. The way you described it, it sounds like she's almost trying to hypnotize him. Because you're sleepy. You <laughs> go to sleep. You relax. Just rest. Just sleep. Just sleep. Well, you know, she uh, could work in the the psychiatry ward over in the mm-hmm. hospital. She could be accustomed to dealing with people with uh, these kinds of conditions, and so she knows that a gentle tone and repeating things over and over again is the best way just to get someone to calm down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that brings us to the end of the minute. Uh, Alex, did you have any other notes about this minute of the best years of our lives? Uh, I did say I do think this was the best minute of my life. I agree. (laughs) Well, I was honored to share it with you. 
Uh, and uh, of course, we would all be honored if you, dear listener, would join us again tomorrow for another minute of the best minutes of our lives. Remember that you can find the Best Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, thebestminutes.com. Uh, join us for a drink down at Butch's Place at the Best Years of Our Lives Listeners Cafe on Facebook <laughs> or uh, join in on, on the conversation on Twitter at The Best Minutes. Uh, Alex, where can people find you? Uh, well, um, there's always my website, comicbookalex.com. Uh, but if you're specifically looking for podcasting information, you can go to godfatherminute.com or, of course, starwarsminute.com. Star Wars Minute. Or wherever fine podcasts are downloadable. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Alex. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Join us here next time on the Best Minutes Podcast. Best Minutes Podcast. Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.